Let's pray as we look together at God's word. Our Father and our God, we do thank and praise you for giving us your word. We pray that as we look at what your word says about your word, that you help us to understand rightly what our Bible is, where it came from, and what it is good for. Please help us in this by the power of your spirit. Keep us from wrong, false, misleading teaching, and help us to stand firm in your truth. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said a couple of weeks ago, a week before church camp, what I want to do today is it's a little bit unusual. It's the first time I've tried it. Um, two weeks ago, do you remember, we went through the whole chapter of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we saw what it meant. Do you remember Paul was warning Timothy? He was managing his expectations was the phrase that I used. Paul said, people are going to be sinful. False teachers are going to be out there. If you stand up for Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. And Paul said to Timothy, you've got to stick with the gospel. Because he said it's come from trustworthy sources, from Paul himself and the other apostles and from the scriptures of the Old Testament. Do you remember from two weeks ago, the whole chapter of chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3? All right, well, what I want to do today is I want us to go back over those last four verses, the last four verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to, I want us to look at those verses and I'm going to use them as the basis for what is really a topical talk or a theological talk. I'm going to explain some Christian teaching to you, some Christian doctrine to you. And in particular, I want to, dis- I want to discuss the doctrine of Scripture. Now, the reason I'm doing it today is because these verses are critical for our understanding of the doctrine of Scripture. In other words, these verses, they tell us what to believe about our Bibles. They tell us where the Bible came from. They tell us what the Bible can do for us. See where we're going? Okay, let's have a look at the passage Uh, Paul has already been speaking to Timothy and over and over again in this letter he's told him to stick with the apostolic message about Jesus, the message which Paul has said over and over again that Timothy got from Paul himself. He's got to stick with the message that Paul gave him. Chapter 1 and verse 13 is an example. Chapter 1 verse 13, Paul says, chapter 1 verse 13, he says to Timothy, what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Or chapter 2, verse 2. Paul said, chapter 2, verse 2. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men. Well, now we come to chapter 3. Paul has warned Timothy about sinful people and false teaching and persecution. And now he, he calls on him to continue in what he has learned. In context, is to continue in what Paul taught him. Continue in the message about Jesus that he learned from Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. Have a look with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Timothy needs to continue in Paul's message about Jesus. And now Paul gives the reason. Here's the reason. The sources are trustworthy. The sources are trustworthy. Paul himself is trustworthy. He's just spoken to Timothy about how you know me. You know what I teach. You know how I've suffered for it. Uh, the other apostles, they are trustworthy. And also, the apostolic message about Jesus is testified to by the trustworthy scriptures of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, rightly read, can also give Timothy what he needs to know to put his trust in Jesus and be saved. Two trustworthy sources, the apostles and the Old Testament. Verse 14 again. Continue on what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. That is the apostles and in particular Paul. And how? From infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
Do you see what Paul's saying? Timothy needs to stick with the original message about Jesus because the sources, the apostles and the Old Testament are trustworthy. Paul now goes on to talk about what he calls all scripture, all the writings. And in context, he means the trustworthy sources that he's just been talking about. The apostolic writings that contain the message about Jesus, most of which would have been around by this time, most of which were already recognized as scripture by this time. Uh, The apostolic writings and also the Old Testament scriptures that Timothy has known since infancy. Together they make all scripture. Uh, In other words, although this is a slightly anachronistic way of saying it, Paul is referring to what we have as our Bibles. Uh, The trustworthy apostolic message of the New Testament as well as the trustworthy Old Testament. That is what he means by all scripture. And what does he say about it? Paul says that all scripture is God-breathed. Now the image here is of God um, speaking the Bible. As we speak, we literally, we breathe out our words. And so Paul is saying God has spoken the Bible. It's his word. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. We talk about the inspiration of scripture. In fact, this is saying it's the expiration of scripture. It's breathed out by God. But if you say scripture is expired, it doesn't sound right. Um, uh, So all scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is God's word. And Paul says God's word is useful. It's useful, he says, to teach us. That is to inform us, give us information. He also says it's useful to rebuke us. That is to show us where our lives are off track. He also says it's useful to correct us, that is to show us where we're wrong or incorrect. And he says that scripture is useful to train us in righteousness, to help us live rightly like a good coach or a good mentor. Scripture can encourage us, exhort us, challenge us to live the way God wants us to. And notice the result. The result of all this teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness is that God's people can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, we will have everything we need to be able to live lives pleasing to God. Verse 16 again. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, let me summarize one more time. Timothy has to continue in the apostolic message about Jesus the message we have in our New Testaments. And why? Because the sources are trustworthy. Paul and the apostles are trustworthy and the Old Testament out of which the message grew is trustworthy. And Paul says that all scripture, for us, our whole Bibles, gives us everything we need to live lives pleasing to God. All right, fairly easy passage to understand. Are you with me? Because I'm going to make a lot of this. All right, that's a right understanding of this passage, I think, isn't it? Okay, fairly easy to understand. The implications are massive. So what I want to do now is to draw out three implications, three doctrinal implications, three things that this teaches us about our Bibles. I've put them on your outline on the right-hand side there. First, this passage means that the Bible is God's word to us. Secondly, because the Bible is God's word, it must be our supreme rule of faith and duty. And third, the Bible is sufficient. That is, it is all we need. To put our trust in Jesus and be saved, it's all we need to be able to live lives pleasing to God. Do you see where we're going? Three doctrines of Scripture. To use the theological terms, there's the inspiration of Scripture, the supremacy of Scripture, and the sufficiency of Scripture. Inspiration, supremacy, sufficiency. Everyone with me? Okay, to our first doctrine. The inspiration of Scripture. The Bible says here that the Bible is God's word. 
God has breathed out, God has spoken the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. The Bible is God's inspired word. Now, before we think about what that means, I just want to deal with a couple of objections to this doctrine. So some people, rightly, point out that this is a circular argument. I believe that the Bible is God's word. Why? Because the Bible tells me the Bible is God's word. That is circular, isn't it? The obvious question to ask is, why do you believe the Bible when the Bible says that the Bible is God's word? Did you get the question? The argument is circular. But I think there's a way onto the circle. It's a little complicated. I'm going to make you think hard. I'm sorry to do that on a wet Sunday morning. But uh, try, and, try and think with me about how let's get, onto the, let's get onto the circle. Let's just put aside for a moment the idea that the Bible is God's word. The New Testament writings are God's word. Let's just assume they are a historical document. The New Testament's a historical document written by the apostles. And there's good historical evidence that that's the case. Okay, so we've got this document. It's written by the apostles. We need to ask ourselves, who are these apostles? Who are the people who wrote the New Testament? And the answer is, they were eyewitnesses, or in, in contact with eyewitnesses of Jesus. So they were in a position to know the truth about Jesus. They were there, contemporary. And the men who wrote the New Testament, they were men who had nothing to gain from telling lies about Jesus. As Paul has just said to Timothy, they suffered terribly for telling people about Jesus. Almost all of the apostles were murdered for talking to people about Jesus. In fact, Paul himself was murdered soon after writing this letter for talking about Jesus, for, for, for telling their message. The apostles, they're in a position to know the truth about Jesus. They're there when he's living and dying and rising again. And they've got every reason to tell the truth about him. They've got knives to their throats. Are you telling the truth? Yes, I'm sorry, I'm telling the truth. And so as Paul says to Timothy here, they are trustworthy. But now let's think about this. Okay, we've got this historical document written by apostles. We can trust them, they're telling the truth. Well, what is their trustworthy message? They tell us that Jesus is the incarnation of God. They tell us that Jesus lived and died as a man. They tell us that Jesus rose again from death. These trustworthy authors, they've told us about something completely unique in world history. Jesus, who was dead, is alive again. Jesus is God, the Son, who reveals God to us. And the thing is this, this unique, resurrected, alive again Son of God, he says that the Bible is God's word. He consistently quotes from the Old Testament as being God's word. And he promises his apostles that the Holy Spirit will lead them into all truth. Can you see how that now brings me onto the circle? I start with the Bible as a human document. I see that it's written by trustworthy authors who tell me about the unique Jesus who himself believed that the Bible is God's word. And so on the authority of the resurrected Jesus, I believe the Bible. And so now here in 2 Timothy when the Bible tells me about itself, I believe what it says. When the Bible tells me the Bible is God-breathed, I believe it. Yes, the argument is circular, but can you see there's a way onto the circle? Okay, that's the first objection. Let me, let me briefly touch on a second objection, uh, a second objection to the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. Some people say, well, how do you know that the Bible we have is the right one? How do we know that all the books that are in there should be there? How do we know that other books shouldn't be in there? And I haven't got time to give you a full, serious answer to this. There are good answers to this question. If you want a short answer, can I recommend two briefings ago 
There's an, uh, an article by Mark Thompson called Have We Got the Right Bible? It's uh, two editions of the briefing. Yeah, it's an excellent article. If you want a longer answer, I threaten people with this book. I don't think anybody's actually taken me up on the offer to read it. Um, if you want a longer answer, I recommend this book called The Canon by F.F. F. Bruce. There are good answers to this question, but let me just give you a couple of quick thoughts. First, uh, with regard to the Old Testament, there is good evidence that Jesus himself used the same Old Testament that we have. Okay? The way he spoke out about the Bible shows us that Jesus held to the same books of the Old Testament that we do. So if you hold to the Bible, Old Testament, as we have it, you're in good company. Jesus agrees with you. Second, uh, with regard to the New Testament, although there was some debate about a few of the books, the vast majority of it was always recognised as being God's word. Uh, it is, it's, it's not like, for example, there were hundreds of other books that were genuinely considered to be put into the New Testament. There are only a couple that are contemporary and that genuinely were considered, and they're still around today if you want to read them. Books like uh, The Shepherd of Hermas, The Epistle of Barnabas, stuff like that. You can read them if you want to. Check out for yourself. If, they, if you think they are God's word, I've read them. They aren't. Um, they're just not. You read them and you can see it. It's perfectly clear. They make all these mistakes and things. Uh, so there are only a few books that were considered to be put in. I think the church got it right. And, and it's not like there was any debate that many of the books that we have in our New Testament should be left out. Uh, for almost every book, nearly everyone could tell from the start that we are dealing with God's word. There was never any doubt, for example, about any of Paul's letters, never any doubt about the Gospels. Now, if you're worried about it, can I say, uh, check it out for yourself? But for me, as I have checked it out, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that spirit-filled Christians throughout the ages have got it right. They have recognised rightly what is God's word. They've included and left out the right books. Okay, a couple of objections. Let me come back to the point, though. The point is this. The Bible is God-breathed. God has spoken the Bible to us. It is his word. What the Bible says, God says. What does that mean? It means that the Bible is true. And it means that it can do what it says it can do. From our passage here, it can make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus and it can also teach, rebuke, correct and train us so that we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is God's true, effective word. It can be trusted to give us what we need to be saved. It can be trusted to give us what we need to live the way God wants. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. We don't have to guess about how to be saved. We don't have to rely on an intuition about how to be saved. We don't have to rely on even people anymore to show us. It's there, written for us. It's very kind of God to give us his word, isn't it? There's our first doctrine, the inspiration of scripture. Our second doctrine, our second doctrine is the supremacy of scripture. And what this means is that the Bible is our number one authority. Let me explain. Uh, there are lots of ways that we can find out true things. There are lots of ways we can find out stuff that is real. For example, we can learn things from other people. Teachers can teach us true things. Church leaders can teach us true things. I take it you could possibly learn something from me, something from Warren. Uh, we can learn things from our culture. People in our culture can teach us true things. We can learn true things from books. 
We can even learn true things from the TV and even, yes, it is possible, from the internet. We can learn stuff from other people. The thing is, what happens when, when the Bible says one thing but someone else is telling us something different? Let me give you an example. The Bible says that sex outside of a marriage between one man and one woman is sinful. Our culture says it's fine. What happens when there's a clash? Well, what have we just seen? We know that the Bible is God's word. We know it's been breathed out by God. We know that it tells us what we need to trust Jesus and be saved and live lives pleasing to God. We're confident about the Bible. We don't know that about our culture. Our culture could have it right. Our culture could be wrong. We don't know that about a church or a pope or any Christian teacher. They could be right. They could be wrong. We don't know about any human teacher. Human teachers could be right. Human teachers could be wrong. So what do we do? What do we do when human teachings clash with God's word? Answer, we believe the Bible. We believe the Bible. We make the Bible supreme over human traditions. Supreme over human teachings. Let me give you another example. Here's another way we can learn things. We can use our brains. It is possible that our brains could tell us true things. We can use our reason. We can use things like logic. But what happens when what we think clashes with what the Bible says? For example, uh, the Bible says there's only one God. And the Bible says the Father is God and the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible teaches that God is both one and three. Uh, that is mathematically unusual, isn't it? Um, it doesn't quite work mathematically. My, my reason tells me that can't be right. So what do I do? Again, I know the Bible is God's word, breathed out by him, spoken by him. I know I can trust the Bible. I don't know that about my reason. My reason could get it wrong, has done so many times in the past. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go with the Bible. The Bible I'm going to make supreme over my reason. Well, here's another way I can know true things. I can experience things. I can have right feelings or intuitions about things. I can just feel in my heart that something is, is true, and sometimes it is. But again, this doctrine tells me that where there's a clash, I've got to go with the Bible. The Bible is God's word. What I feel, what I experience can so easily be wrong. The Bible needs to be supreme. You getting how the doctrine works? Yeah? All right, now it's worth saying this. Our interpretation of the Bible is not supreme. Other people could show us that we've interpreted the Bible wrongly. Our reason or experience could show us we've interpreted the Bible incorrectly. We need to be willing to have our interpretation of the Bible constantly challenged. We need to be humble about our interpretation of the Bible. But when it boils down to it, the Bible says what the Bible says. And where there's a clash, we need to make Scripture supreme. The Bible is God's word. We know it's true. We don't know that about anything else. So that's our second doctrine, the supremacy of Scripture. Okay, that's one and two. The inspiration of Scripture, the supremacy of Scripture. That brings us to our final doctrine now, the sufficiency of Scripture. The point here is a pretty simple one, but I think pretty radical and again becoming radical in the culture of many of us. It's a fairly simple point. Here in 2 Timothy... It says that the Bible is able to give us what we need to know to put our trust in Jesus and be saved. 
That's what it says, isn't it? It is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If the Bible can do that, we don't need anything else to do it. The Bible is enough. It gives us all we need to know to put our trust in Jesus and be saved. That's what it says, isn't it? It also says here that the Bible can teach, rebuke, correct and train us so that we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not a bit equipped, thoroughly equipped. Not, not for some good works, for every good work. In other words, again, do you want to be pleasing to God, thoroughly pleasing to God, thoroughly pleasing to God in every good work? All you need is the Bible. The Bible is enough. It's not just that Scripture is supreme. It's not just that when there's a clash between Scripture and other sources of knowledge, we go with Scripture. Scripture is sufficient. When it comes to trusting Jesus, when it comes to living God's way, we need nothing else. What does that mean? It means we don't need to add the Quran to our Bibles. It means we don't need to add the Book of Mormon to our Bibles. It means we don't need some prophet to come and tell us what to do. It means we don't need any extra words from God to be entirely saved and entirely pleasing to him. Uh, when I was a young Christian, I had a lady come up to me and, and she told me that she had a word from God for me. She, I was supposed to go and do certain things and this would make me pleasing to God. I remember feeling quite privileged, really, about it at the time. Excited that God would have a word for me and, and thought, well, that's exciting that I can go and do something and be pleasing to him. Now I know... Well, maybe God spoke to her and maybe he didn't. But God's word tells me this. I don't need what she said. I don't need it to be saved and I don't need it to be completely pleasing to God. What she said is possibly wrong and at the very best it is unnecessary. It is irrelevant. It is OTOs. It is completely useless. It makes no difference to anything at all. I don't need it and frankly when I've got God's word that I know is God's word I don't particularly want it. We recently had dealings with another lady um, who was uh, coming at least to Bible study and sometimes to church. Uh, she reckoned that she heard God speak to her about all manner of things. Uh, some things were in the Bible, some things weren't. And she insisted uh, that we are not proper Christians unless we hear similar stuff from God. Well, she might say that, but God says here that the Bible is enough. God says here that we don't need anything other than the Bible to be saved and pleasing to God. If God requires something of us, it's there in the Bible and I don't need anyone else to tell me. If God requires it of me, it is in Scripture. If God does not put it in Scripture, he doesn't require it of me. Do you see how it works? Unfortunately, this seems to be a bit of a turn that has been taken by Chinese Christianity in Sydney at the moment. There seems to be a seeking after prophetic words and so on. Can I say, it is a wrong turn. Beware of it. At best, it is an unnecessary distraction from the main game of hearing God speak to us through his word. But worse than that, it is quite dangerous. We're throwing out the trustworthy teaching and pursuing teaching inspired by what I think is basically wishful thinking and peer pressure. Certainly it is not something that you can trust. The sufficiency of scripture. It has uh, deep implications for our Christian lives. Uh, the best book on the subject is the book I recommended uh, at church camp, um, Guidance and the Voice of God by Philip Jensen and Tony Payne, a most helpful book thinking through the sufficiency of scripture, Guidance and the Voice of God by Philip Jensen and Tony Payne. I'd wave it to you, but someone's got my copy. 
please finish reading it and hand it on to someone else. Sufficiency of scripture. Can I say in finishing, I reckon this is so liberating. This is such good news. God has spoken to us. God has given us everything we need to know to be saved and pleasing to him. We can know the truth. We don't need to guess. We don't need to hope. We don't need to rely on some feeling that could be last night's curry or could be God. There are no secrets. There are no surprises. It is all there. If you follow the Bible, you are on track. If we teach the Bible week by week, we are on track. This is all we need. Friends, it's good news. God has given us his supreme, sufficient, inspired word. Let's pray. Father and our God, we do thank and praise you for extraordinary and wonderful mercy in giving to us not only Jesus to live and die and rise again from the dead and fully save us, but in giving us your word that shows us how to put our trust in Jesus and be saved and can teach us, rebuke us, correct us and train us in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our Father and our God, will you please help us to enjoy and revel in your gift, not seek after anything else, not stress that there is something else, but instead rejoice in your good, sufficient word. Father, as we read your word, we see that we fall very far, very far short of your standards and your righteousness. We thank you so much for Jesus. We rely entirely on him for our salvation. We pray that you would strengthen us by the power of your spirit to live your way in accordance with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Got to be questions, surely. Oh, come on. Uh, Sure. Um, Cynthia. So the question is, there are so many things that we face today that, we didn't face, that weren't faced 2,000 years ago. Um, how can we say that God's word is sufficient? Answer, if God doesn't tell us about it, we don't need to know. Let me give you an example. Uh, um, choosing a job. Okay? The Bible does not tell me whether I should be a physiotherapist or a librarian. Okay? It doesn't say. Therefore, it doesn't matter in terms of my salvation or godliness whether I am a physiotherapist or a librarian. But the Bible says an incredible amount about how I'm to be a physiotherapist or how I'm to be a librarian. It tells me to be godly. It tells me to be holy. It tells me to love people. It tells me to tell the truth. It tells me not to steal. It tells, it's like every day in my job as a physiotherapist or as a librarian, it's telling me how to live. God's word is incredibly relevant to my life today. It's just not relevant to the things I think are important. That's because I think the wrong things are important. Do you understand? So scripture is entirely sufficient. And if it's not there... Make a wise choice or toss a coin or something like that. Okay? Because if it's not there, God doesn't require it of us for salvation or for good works. And that's true of everything. Was there another? Liz, were you going to ask a question? No? Christian. So the question is, um, is it possible that a prophetic word today, though unnecessary, could be helpful? Answer, yes. Okay, the same as a book can be helpful, the same as hopefully a sermon can be helpful, the same as... Uh, first, we've got to understand what prophecy is. I think from Acts chapter 2, uh, prophecy today is uh, the proclamation of the gospel that all Christians can do. Um, as the book of Revelation says, the um, spirit of prophecy is the testimony about Jesus. So 
I'm not convinced that what some people go on with as being prophecy is in fact prophecy. I'm also not convinced that it's not last night's curry. Um, so first of all, I don't trust it. Secondly, I don't need it. Thirdly, why would I be chasing after that when I've got God's sufficient word already? I just don't see the point of it. If God wants to speak to us, he doesn't need us to go seeking him and running around. He's perfectly capable. He'll use a donkey if he, if he wants to get a message across to us. He can do it perfectly easily. What we need to do is be grateful for what we've got, which is his inspired word, and not go un, uncontentedly seeking off after other things. However, having said that, God can do exactly what he wants. Dong Hyuk. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so the, did everybody get the question? Some of the cultural things, uh, some of the culture that's assumed and talked about and legislated for, particularly in the Old Testament, is not today's culture. Do we need a new Bible to apply to today's culture? Uh, answer. Firstly, we need to understand how to rightly read the Bible. So what does Paul, t- Paul say to Timothy here? He says, continue in what you have learned. Okay, what is it that he's learned? The message of the gospel from Paul and the apostles. Because you know those from whom you've learned it, the apostles, and how it flows out from the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, we understand as it points to Jesus and as it's fulfilled in the gospel. Right? So in that sense, we don't, we don't keep the Old Testament laws. We don't have sacrifices. They're already fulfilled. Um, we may or may not have slaves. Um, th- those sorts of cultural things. But the way we read the Bible through Jesus means that we're not going to read Old Testament culture and say that it necessarily has to be our culture today. In terms of the New Testament, it's much closer. Okay? But there are some things um, that meant something in their culture that, doesn't, that don't mean things in our culture. So, for example, um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that ladies should show their respect for their husbands by wearing hats in church and that husbands should show their respect for God by not wearing hats in church. Okay? That gives us something that is universally true. Wives should show their respect for their husbands. Husbands should show respect for God in the way that they worship. But we express it culturally differently. Okay, so hats don't do it anymore. We don't need a new Bible. We just need to understand rightly how the uh, eternal teaching of Scripture applies to our culture. It's a slightly different thing. Other questions or thoughts? Yeah, sure. Yes. And then, oh, sorry. Yes, and then Sam. Mm. Um, can I encourage you to listen to Martin's sermons from church camp last weekend because he talked about this very, very helpfully. Um, in terms of the Old Testament, the vast majority of the Old Testament cannot be kept anymore. We have no temple, we have no sacrifices, we have no priests, we have no um, tabernacle, etc., etc. Um, what we need to be careful of is not the Old Testament, but reading the Old Testament not in the light of the gospel, not in the light of Christ. And the way we understand best how to read the Old Testament is to read the New Testament and see how it applies to the Old Testament. I think that's enough to say at this point. Was there one more question, Sam? Mm, sure, sure. Okay, so you understand Sam's question that the Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible are two slightly different things. Uh, they are different in the sense that uh, what we've got in our Bible is the Old Testament and the New Testament. What the Catholic Bible is, has, it has a few books that come in between the Old and the New Testaments. We call them the Apocrypha. Um, so there's the Book of Judith, the Book of Wisdom, a few things that were written in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now what happened um, uh, is that um, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek in about 250 BC, they included in their Old Testament their current writings, which were contemporary Jewish writings. Um, Jewish people don't see it as being scripture. No, they don't see it as being part of the Old Testament. 
Um, and Protestants say, well, we'll keep the Old Testament and we'll keep the New Testament. But what happened is that when the Septuagint was translated into Latin by a guy called Jerome in the fourth century, the Catholic Church decided that they would keep all of it. So the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the stuff in between. If you read it, as I've read it, I've actually preached on it here in church. I preached on, uh, on um, uh, Hanukkah one time. Uh, you'll see that there's, there's nothing to be um, uh, worried about in it. It's some good Jewish stories. There's no particular doctrine that comes out differently uh, from it. Um, yeah, look, it just it doesn't fit for me in the sense that Jesus didn't consider it to be the Old Testament. He considered the Old Testament to be what we have. Um, it doesn't particularly add anything from what I can see. You're welcome to read them. You're welcome to think about them. I'm not that concerned about them being in the Bible or not in the Bible. I don't think they should be there. Um, but I don't think that is a matter of salvation. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And read them. They're good stories. Uh, one problem with being a Protestant is we never read them. They're actually the Book of Maccabees and so on are fascinating. Very interesting. Wow. Judith's a fascinating story. Tobit's a fascinating story. Um, yeah. Andrew. Mm, mm. I take it there is no clash between the Bible rightly interpreted and science rightly practised. And so where there appears to be a clash, either we're wrongly interpreting the Bible or we're wrongly doing science. But that's a statement of faith, isn't it, to some extent? Mm. Do you want more than that? It's partly a furphy, isn't it? The whole history of science versus Christianity is partly a furphy. Um, science came out of Christianity. It's only because we believe that God made the world and made it with kind of order and routineness that science is even possible. It's only because we believe that God created us rational. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so again, I'm not going to tell you where I fall on it, although I have a view. Um, it is possible that... Science has got it wrong, and in fact there is a complete flood of the whole world and the ark landed on a mountain and so on. God's perfect, God is perfectly poss- capable of doing that. I think it's probably the right way to read the Bible. Uh, it's also possible that we've interpreted the genre of the Bible wrongly, and this is in fact a story that tells us uh, what it tells us, but, is, um, but you know, if that's not in fact what happened, then it's not in fact what happened. I, I think it is. Um, but... A right interpretation of the Bible and a right understanding of what happened will be the same thing. I'm just never quite sure if the science is wrong or my interpretation is wrong. I just need to be a bit humble about that. Having said that again, it's not a matter of salvation, is it? We've got to go to Jesus consistently. Um, Okay, probably uh, had plenty of time on that and we're going to sing. Thanks, Roberta.